We're going to continue in our series this morning. It's great to be back with you guys after being away last weekend. Um, We are in the Church in Motion. We are looking at the second chunk of our series through the book of Acts, chapters 3 through 12. This is the Church in Motion Unhindered. Um, If you have been following us, you know that the reason why we're doing this is because it's important for us to take a step back many times and look at the way things began so that we can understand how things should look today. Sometimes we can become so disconnected from the way things originally began, that, that we forget the way things should be. We maybe grow up into a new way of living, and, and we have to go back to the roots sometimes to be reminded that the church that Jesus birthed, that we just sang about, was incredibly effective in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just in what the words were that they said, but in the power that they demonstrated through the Holy Spirit. And there are different characteristics that we've seen over the last many weeks that focuses on how the church looked and what the church did to be who God called them to be. We looked at the church in motion was a church on mission. They knew what their mission was. They stayed focused and wasn't distracted. But to fulfill their mission, they had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. There is no mission that God could ever give the people of God to do In the physical, everything we're supposed to do has to be done through the spiritual because we can't accomplish spiritual things in physical ways. We talked about the church that was devoted in Acts chapter 2 to uh, the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. We talked about the church that sees, I love that, the church that sees that God looks at us not just for who we are on the outside, but he looks at us for who we are on the inside, and he knows where our needs are, and he knows where our gaps are, and he meets us right where we are so that we feel seen by God. When we talked about the courageous church, we talked about courage is really rooted in obedience, that if you want to be courageous, it's not about trying harder, it's about simply obeying what God calls us to do, and as we obey his path and his plan, he gives us the courage, because it's never our our strength in the first place, it's always God working through us. And then last week, Andy came and spoke about the unstoppable church. And the mission of the church is you know, how we're unstoppable in reaching people and we need the power of Christ to reach people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, we are in Acts chapter 6 and we're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6 and today we are looking at the church in motion is the church that changes. The church in motion is the church that changes. Now, if I asked you this morning how you feel about the word change, I wonder what you would say. I tried this in our huddle before the service started this morning, and I said, what's something that you feel when we talk about the word change? And I heard, boo. (laughs) It was an encouraging moment, and they were glad that they were here this morning. How do you feel when you hear the word change? Think about it. What do you think about when you hear the word change? Some of you are very excited about it. Some of you can't wait for the next change around the corner. Others of you kind of on the fence. And then there are others of you with your hands crossed say, I'm only changing when I have to. I don't want to change. I don't like change. Well, if you're familiar with something called the law of diffusion of innovation, what it says, and you may not know that word or that that phrase, but you may know this, is that there's really like five categories of people when you're looking at how they adopt and how they look at change. 
There's about 3% of the population that we know that are the innovators of the world. These are like the Elon Musks of the world. They're just going at it as fast as they can. Nothing holds them back. Those people are the innovators. Then we have about 13% of the world that are considered early adopters. These are the people that when the innovators are releasing new things, the early adopters are the first people on board. These are the people that camp out overnight at stores when the new technology comes out. Not because, you know, for and no other reason, they just need to have it first. They want to check it out first. They have to have it first. They want to be the first. Even if they waited a few weeks, they could get it. They have to have it right away. Those are the early adopters. Then you have another 35, 34%. We call them the early majority of people that will get on board. But here's where it changes. 50% of the population are either late adopters or laggards. <laughs> late adopters or laggards. You go, what are the late adopters? They'll change. But the laggards, they only change when they're forced to. That means they only buy a touch-tone phone because they can't find a rotary anymore. (laughs) They only upgrade their computer because the software doesn't work anymore. These are the laggards, right? So some of you are saying, like, I'm married to a laggard, or I am a laggard, or I don't know. Here's my point. 50% of our population doesn't really like change. And then 35% of the rest of the population will adopt it, but they do it tentatively. So a lot of people in our world do not necessarily like change. There was an American engineer in the mid-20th century. He was a management consultant. His name was W. Edwards Deming. Some of you know the name. Some of you may not. Um, He was a man who gave counsel to the Japanese automakers. Some of you know the story, and maybe not. But his information, his consultation to the Japanese manufacturers experienced as a result of his counsel and their application of his counsel created unheard of levels of quality and productivity in the Japanese auto industry. He showed them things that they could apply and change that took them from being a company or a country where no one wanted to buy vehicles from to a country today where everyone seems to want to buy vehicles from. His influence and philosophy of manufacturing is one of the main reasons why Japanese cars today have an excellent reputation for being reliable. And he's responsible for that. And there was a quote that he, that he said that he's pretty well, pretty famous for, and it's simply this. It is not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. <laughs> you see where I'm going? It is not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. Sometimes truth hurts, right? That was W. Edwards Deming. But we're talking about the change of the church, not a change of a corporation. It's not about changing for the sake of change. The church isn't supposed to change just because everything changes around us. It's about seeing what's happening around us, listening to the voice of God through his Holy Spirit, and then making adjustments so that we can contribute and continue to be effective in helping people find and follow Jesus. That's why we change. Because we look at this environment around us, we're in a dynamic relationship with Christ, The Holy Spirit speaks to us and we modify what we're doing so that we can continue to reach people for Jesus. If we don't change, we die. It doesn't mean the church on a whole dies, but there are churches and there's a life cycle of many churches and the churches that die are the churches that don't change. Acts chapter 6 gives us a glimpse into the first time the New Testament church needed to really change. And I love this passage. So we're going to read verses 1 through 7 today. And you can follow along in the slides on the screen if you'd like. Or in your Bibles. So beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now we have to know in the midst of all of this that the church was growing in leaps and bounds. If you're following along what's happening in the life cycle of the New Testament church and how they're growing, in Acts chapter 2, it's Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the believers in the upper room. There's about 120 people that are followers of Christ in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that they met daily and they committed themselves and devoted themselves, like I said before, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And the scripture says that there was about 3,000 that believed at that point in just one chapter. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John healed a lame man, and the response of the healing brought more people into a relationship with Christ. The scriptures said at that point, over 5,000 people believed and became followers of Christ. And in Acts chapter 5, There were more healings. The truth was continuing to be preached. And the scripture says more were added to their number in verse 14. There is a constant growth of the New Testament church that started with 120. And at this point, there's over 5,000 people. That is a really strong growth curve, right? Right? I mean, I wouldn't want to be in that situation over the short period of time that they were in um, if I wasn't willing to change. So change is good. Growth is good. But with all growth comes something we call growing pains, right? Right? I mean, you have to adjust or else you're going to be in significant pain. When I was a kid, um, some of you have heard the story, but I didn't really start to grow until I was about 16 years old. I was a freshman in high school and I was about five feet tall. And um, when I started to grow my junior year, uh, I grew so fast that I had to go to the doctor and have lifts put in the bottom of my my, uh, shoes because my Achilles tendon was not growing fast enough and it hurt so much when I was growing that they elevated the back of my foot. Um, There's growing pains associated with growth. And when growth is significant, meaning it happens quickly, you can experience a lot of pain. So the church was experiencing a lot of growth, but they also were beginning to experience some problems. And here's what the problem was. The original way of ministering to people in the beginning was no longer effective. The way that they would minister to people, remember, just a handful of people, then 120 people, just the Jewish believers, the way that they ministered to people, the way they distributed food to the widows, The way that all of that was being done was no longer effective and they were being approached by other believers who were complaining that their people were not getting handed and served an equal amount of food. People were getting hurt, needs weren't being met, and the way they had to change could have either poised the church to grow or it could have stifled the church and diluted the focus that the disciples were called to focus on. 
So rather than neglect the teaching of the word, we rehear that the church or the 12 made a change and they delegated the responsibility to other people. But it's more than that. They didn't just change. They made the healthiest choice because they could have picked two or three of the 12 to say, this is your responsibility. You handle it. But they didn't do that. What did they do? They took a step back and they said, let's go to those that are believers and let's delegate, empower those believers so that the church can continue to grow, the church can continue to develop, and more people can become followers of Christ. So I want to look at healthy change this morning, because not every change is healthy. We're going to look at two types of change this morning, and what happens when you are walking in healthy change. What's the benefit of that, and what is the result? So what does healthy change look like? The first thing I want to say this morning is that healthy change creates the opportunity for everyone to discover their purpose. If we're looking at it through the lens of the church, Christianity, and as we walk in relationship with each other, healthy change creates the opportunity for everyone to discover their purpose. Now the takeaway of all the differences in people all have some foundational things in common, okay? If we were looking at all of us individually, people are different and unique in very ways. But there are very foundational things that you and I all connect upon that we could agree upon. And I think one of the things that we would agree upon is the fact that we all want to have a life of purpose. I mean, don't we want our life, or I should ask you, think about it, do you want your life to mean something? Do you want your life to stand for something? You know, the, uh, the traditional message that pastors have spoken of many years, you know, when you go into a cemetery or a graveyard and you see the dates and there's the dash in the middle, what does your dash mean? What did you do during your dash? Some of you have heard that before. Everyone I've ever talked to wants to have something of significance, that their life meant something. And it doesn't mean it has to be on a scale like someone else's, but everyone is looking for purpose. And a healthy church creates opportunity so that everyone has the ability to discover their purpose. That's so important for us to understand. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. You and I are God's workmanship, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do God's work, what God, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does that mean? It means that before we were ever even created, God put purpose and he knew what our purpose would be. Obviously, our greatest purpose is to know him. That's in the book of Micah. But God has created each one of us with gifts and abilities. He's created each one of us with different skills and tasks that we can do that others can't do like us. And we see that in verses 2 through 4. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. This is what we saw. In order for us to wait on tables... They recognized their purpose. So they said in verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to ministry of the Word. This is a danger that many people fall into. I know I have fallen into it. Maybe it's been one of your things as well. We can be really good at doing, but sometimes we're not really good at delegating. And I don't mean do this for me. I mean taking responsibility that we have been doing and training, lifting up, and equipping someone else to do it so that we can continue to do other things. It's easy for us to pull all of the weight of the world sometimes on us and say, I'm just going to put my head down and do it because it's faster for me to do it myself than to show someone else how to do it, right? Anyone ever say something like that? 
I could just do it myself. It's a whole lot faster. It's a whole lot quicker. But you know, if that's the mindset that we have in our Christian faith, we never give other people the opportunity to grow in their faith. We never give people the opportunity to walk and to experience the things maybe that we walk. We don't create gaps if we're always trying to fill them. I look historically of my own life and I look at our church at Bridge. Some of the greatest opportunities we have seen where people have stepped into roles that identify with their own purpose are when there's a gap there. That we're not trying to feverishly fill it because we have too many other things going. I think about this when when our friends Ben and Deb Calagari moved to Texas earlier this summer. And they, they took their whole family and they oversaw the coffee ministry, uh, the cafe. And um, I mean, there is nobody to run the cafe for a long time. We had people come to us. Hey, I'm sad. There's no coffee. Hey, I'm sad. There's no coffee. I would come in and get excited. And people were like, when are we going to have coffee? And we'd say, do you want to lead it? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't just, I mean, that's, that you're asking too much, pastor. I'm like, I'm not asking anything. I'm just wondering, like, did you, would you be a part of it? So, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, because we talked about it as staff, you know, and Pastor Rob oversees that area. And um, we're not going to continue to just add something else to our plate because if we continue to do everything else, we can't focus on the things that we know we need to focus on. So we pray, we wait, we ask, there's a gap. And not only did God fill that gap, but he filled it with awesome people that stepped into a role that never would have been able to take that role if we just try to make it happen in their absence. See, it works like that in life. We need to allow space in our body, the church body, and there needs to be gaps. So when there's gaps, people feel if there's a gap, maybe God's putting it on their heart to fill it. But even beyond that, even if there aren't gaps, it's the roles of the leaders of the church, especially, and the body, to look at others and see how they're created to be and encourage them to discover their gifts and their purposes. One of the tests you could take years ago that's been around was called the shape, that you can figure out what your shape is, how God has created you. And it's so powerful to understand your purpose because in God's church, every member is supposed to be a minister. Do you believe that this morning? Every one of us is called to be a minister. Now, it doesn't mean you have to come up on Sunday morning and you have to perform weddings and funerals. And It means we are, as Peter says, a kingdom of priests. Wherever God has planted you, he's called you to be a light. Wherever God has asked you to live, he's called you to be an example for Christ. Whoever he has put in your world, he has called you to be a testimony and salt to influence them by showing them Jesus by the way you live and the way that you love and the way that I live. Everyone he has put, and this is what I love about our church, if you look at who you all are, you'll all walk out of this building today. I say one day. Today, you'll walk out of this building. I think it should be today. And you're going to go to different homes in different towns different cities and different counties. And then next tomorrow, you'll go to different jobs, different businesses and employers. And God has planted you in all of these different places. And the most incredible thing about that is that he's planted you uniquely in that place to be a light. Uniquely in the world that you're in to make a difference for Christ. You are unique and every part of the church has a purpose. Here's a different way of explaining this. This is how I think. Okay. Some of you know what some of this is. Others of you are like, what am I looking at? So 
All of you came here in a vehicle this morning, I'm imagining, an automobile. I didn't see any bikes. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone came this morning in an automobile. These are parts of an automobile or parts that go into an automobile. Okay? Um, we have, uh, some of you know what this would be called, right? I mean, that's a spark plug, right? Does everyone know what's a spark plug, right? This is going to be an education in, in parts today. Uh, these are brake pads, okay? Guess what you do with brake pads? You stop, right? That's what brake pads are for, right? Some of you know that. How many of you think your car has brakes? <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Uh, this is oil, right? So you have oil. So, so I'm not doing any type of promotional here. There's, there's oil. Okay. This is an oil filter. Okay. What does it do? It filters the oil. Very good. You guys are good. So this is an oil filter. Okay. Um, this is an ignition coil. Okay. This puts a spark in it. It actually connects to the bottom of the spark plug. And then when the electricity comes through, it sparks. And then it makes the explosion happen in the cylinder. Okay. And this, this is a piston and a connecting rod. Okay, some of you are like, what? Now, if you have a four-cylinder car, you have four of these in your car. You have a six-cylinder car, you have six. If you have an eight-cylinder car, you have... All right, good, good, it's good. This came out of a six-cylinder car, okay? And these go up and down, and there's an... You know, I'm not going to go through the whole process of combustion, but basically they explode, and they go up and down, they turn the motor, and as a result of that, your car can move in different directions. Okay, so... Those are those parts. What's this big guy here in the middle? Um, Well, I'm dating myself here because most of your cars probably don't have this, but this is a carburetor. Okay, some of you, this is a four-barrel carburetor. It's, it means business. Okay, this is for, for really cool old classic cars. You probably have a fuel-injected car, but this takes in air, and it takes in fuel, and it mixes it at the right ratio so that when it goes into your cylinder and it explodes, this guy goes up and down. Okay? You all feel educated this morning now? All right, good. All right, you're like, all right, this is good. Which part do you need to make the car work? Yes. Which part looks like another part? They all look different, right? They all look different, but they all have their purpose. This is what the church is supposed to recognize and walk in. Every one of us here is a part of the big picture. See? That's how it works. Every one of us has a unique purpose. Every one of us, when we come together can be used by God to accomplish his plan. We won't go there this morning, but in Romans 12, 6 through 8, Paul talks about the different gifts. And he talks about how, according to the grace that God has given us, that each person has different gifts. He says, if it's prophesying, prophesy. If it's faith, then have faith. If it's serving, then you should serve. If it's encouragement and teaching, then encourage others and teach. And if it's generosity, be generous. And if God has called you to lead, lead diligently. He gives all these examples. If it's to show mercy towards others, show mercy. And there are so many other examples of that. The point I'm showing is that for the church to be effective, healthy change helps everyone discover their purpose. The second thing that healthy change does is it creates the opportunity for everyone to see their true value. This is really important. It helps everyone create or the opportunity for everyone to see that their true value. I love the fact that the first recorded issue we see within the church involves racial tension. You think, what are you talking about? Remember right in the beginning in Acts chapter 1, we won't go back there, I mean in Acts 6 verse 1, there were Hellenistic Jews and there were Hebraic Jews. Basically, there were Jew Jews 
okay? The original people from Israel, and then there were Greeks. There were the Jews versus the Greeks. And if you know anything about biblical history, the Israelites were the people of God. We see it in the Old Testament. And there was this this mindset where they were clean, they were pure, and they did not associate with Greeks. They did not get along. There was a racial tension between those two, and yet God was using his Holy Spirit to bring them all into his kingdom. And now there's a problem where the Hebraic Jews are distributing food and they're disadvantaging disadvantaging the Greek Christians. So the Hellenistic Jews or the Greek Christians basically come up and they say, hey, our people are being neglected here. What are you going to do about it? So they came up with the proposal. And you know what I love about the proposal? They didn't say, we're going to take it over. They said, we're going to equip you to reach your people. We're going to allow you to reach your people. And what's even better about it, we're going to choose from within you people that are just as equally valued and full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says, The proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, and the men were prayed over, and they laid their hands on them. There is no greater than in the kingdom of God. There is no one who is of more significance than another in the kingdom of God. The Jews that you see here in Acts chapter 6, though God brought his Messiah or our Messiah through him, it wasn't to elevate them to show them they were better. It was to be a light to the world to say, because of all of this, God is bringing the power of salvation to all men, to all women, of all statutes, of all economic classes, so that everyone understands the message of salvation is for everyone. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ, Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. And look what he says in verse 28. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Going back to my engine parts, they're all unique with a unique purpose. Which one of them is more important? Think about it. If my engine, I say my auto parts, from the automobile, I'm sorry. Um, If I put all of these parts together and I remove the spark plugs, will the car run? No. This is a pretty important part. So we need to have the plug. If I remove the ignition coil, will the car continue to run? Yeah. Now, don't be cheeky and say, well, if it's six cylinders and you take one, it's just going to... Don't, no, no, no. If they all come out, okay? Yeah. yeah. You can misfire, and then you get the little engine light on there. They call it the money light. The money light, because when it goes on, you have to bring your car to the shop, and they tell you it means everything. Um, <laughs> can it run without a piston and a connecting rod? Of course not. It needs this to move, Right? Who wants to drive a car without brakes? Anyone crazy enough to do that? You say, well, surely the oil filter. Well, go ahead and try to take your oil filter off your car and run it for a little while and see what happens. You're going to make a whole lot of mess. And it will run for a little while, but, but it's going to make a mess, right? 
which is why you need to have oil in your car. Oil, you know, there are companies that show you you can run your car without oil, but after a few moments and minutes after doing that, you can throw your engine away because it'll seize up, right? Which part is more important than the others? None. They're all needed. If you don't have a carburetor, you can't have the mixture or fuel injection. You can't have the mixture of the air and the fuel. If you don't have the oil filter, it's going to shoot oil out of the side. If you don't have a spark plug, you'll never get spark. I didn't even show you this one. This is a tie rod. If you don't have a tie rod, okay, this connects your steering um, components to the knuckle on your car, which allows your wheels to turn. So when you turn the steering wheel, if you don't have a tie rod, the wheels won't go anywhere. And if they falls off, the wheels will go everywhere. And that's really dangerous. If you don't have one of these things on there, actually two, one on each side, You can't steer your car. Which one is more important? The answer is all of them matter. All of them are equally important. You cannot do this without one of them. This is why this is so important within the church. Your gifts, your purpose, your ability, what God has created you to do is just as valuable as everybody else. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Well, I can't do what someone else can do. We how good are we at comparing ourselves to others? Think about that. Well, I could never be like this person, or I could never speak like that person, or I could never play an instrument like this person, or God knows I can't minister to kids like this person can. It doesn't matter. I wish I could be as generous as this person. Stop comparing ourselves. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others, and we need to ask ourselves, what has God created in us uniquely? And recognize that what he's created in us is something that nobody else can replicate because he's done it in us. And the way that we approach this, because we over-spiritualize this, I I, I think about this sometimes, is um, we can pray and we can seek God and we can ask for purpose. But you know what I found over the years is that if I go back to my early years and I go like my elementary school, high school years, and I start reflecting on the things that I like to do, And I start reflecting on the things that gave me life. Now, I'm not assuming this applies to everyone. If you went through a a situation where you experienced tremendous trauma, you know, or maybe you weren't physically or emotionally healthy, it doesn't necessarily apply in this circumstance. But in general, when you're young, you will gravitate towards the things that give you life. You will gravitate towards the things that make you excited. You will do things that make you who you are. We saw this with each one of our children growing up. That's why our oldest child would get art supplies all the time because we knew that she loved art. That's why our son, the middle child, would have you know, um, woodworking tools and wood shop and, and, and all these things to build with and welding equipment because we saw the things that he was interested in. And that's why our youngest one has created another bakery basically out of our house because all of these things point to the things that they love to do. We understand this, right? So, so let's take a step back and recognize that if God has created us uniquely and every part matters, let's not overthink how we can be the body. Pastor Rob and Mary were up here talking about LEAP this morning. And this, this week during one of our elder meetings, we were, we were talking and I thought it was really amazing as Pastor Rob started talking about the job application. Um, one of them said, you know, when we asked what was one of the most significant things of LEAP. Um, the kid said uh, how to interview for a job was one of his most impactful things. And I think about that and go, how many of us would look at what we're trying to do for our kid, community kids and think, well, I can't cook and I can't do automotive and I can't sing and I don't understand technology and music, but I'm a business person and you know, I, I know how to interview. I know how to prepare a resume. I know how to help people take tests. That is just as important and valuable as all of the other things. And when people know what they're good at and they don't engage 
in some way that God's calling them to do, two things happen. Other people get hurt and you dry up. Both of those things happen. Other people, they don't engage. Other people lose out and you dry up. And God doesn't want that to happen to us. He wants us to recognize that he's created us with a purpose. And he wants us to recognize that we are all unique and have incredible value. The last thing I want to say about healthy change isn't really um, the how, but it's really what happens as a result of this. Healthy change creates the opportunity for everyone to find and follow Jesus. When we are willing to help people discover their purpose, when we make it a priority as leaders and as a church to help people see their true value and encourage them to be who God's called them to be wherever God has planted them, we create a wineskin. We create a structure in the church where everyone is able to find and follow Jesus. Verse 7 said, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's the result. They made a change. They empowered other people by pointing out their gifts and their purpose. They show them their true value. They laid hands on these Greeks saying, we are the same. There's no better or worse. And as a result of that, God used the unity in the church to expand the church, and the church continued to increase rapidly. How rapidly? Biblical scholars tell us that within 25 years after Pentecost, Jerusalem, that had approximately 200,000 people living it, had anywhere from 60 to 100,000 Christians living in it. 60 to 100,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem 25 years after Pentecost. What does that tell you? It means that almost half of the entire city of Jerusalem became a follower of Christ. Think about how powerful that is. Think about what God wants to do in us and through us. And it makes a whole lot of sense when you see in Scripture when it says you have filled Jerusalem because one out of two people could be a believer or a follower of Christ. That's pretty impressive. We're going to close here in a few minutes if the worship team can come up. But I I would just like to ask you a question. And the question is basically, how can we experience healthy change? How can we experience healthy change? Because the goal here is to have every part recognize its unique purpose. The goal here is for each part to recognize its incredible value. So that when they come together... We can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Every single one of you could have gotten here today by foot. Every single one of you could have gotten here today by bicycle. But because you came in an automobile, you got here a lot faster and your hair's not messed up. Why is that so significant? Because every part matters. Every part is valuable. And every part worked in unity so that you could be here this morning. There's a lot of things in the church that God is willing to overlook, but unity is not one of them. Disunity is something that God addresses in the church and needs the church to be mindful of because when there's disunity, nothing works the way that it's supposed to work. How can you experience this healthy change if you're here this morning and you're saying, okay, so where do we go with this? Verse 3 shows us the way. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. It all comes back to the Holy Spirit. How can we discover our purpose? Being full of the Spirit. 
How do we understand our uniqueness and what God's called us to do? Be filled with the spirit of wisdom. And how do we fill with the Holy Spirit? We fill ourselves through the word of God. We fill ourselves through prayer. We fill ourselves through repentance and purity. We fill ourselves through relationship with others. By the teaching of the word, fellowship, remembering communion together, being devoted to prayer. These are all things that are a healthy diet for us to grow closer to God spiritually. And if we want to experience healthy change, if we are committed to letting the word of God get planted in our heads so that it changes our hearts, God will change you. He will challenge you. And can I tell you, and maybe many of you can vouch for this, when God challenges you to take a step out of your comfort zone, it doesn't always feel good. And it doesn't always make sense. But it's necessary for the church to grow. If we stay in our comfort zone, two things will happen. We will dry up and die, and the world around us will not be able to experience the message and the power that comes from Christ. So we have to be willing to constantly stretch. We have to be willing, as the Spirit leads, to go in places we haven't gone before. We have to be willing to take the gifts that God has called us to use, the things we're naturally good at, and and we don't have to say, well, how do we figure out how to use this on a church on Sunday morning? That's not the point. No, it's how do we use this where God has planted us to live? How can I be a light? If you like auto mechanics, You could be a light to young kids that want to learn how to turn wrenches and fix motors. And in the midst of that, you can show them Jesus. If you're a business person, you can rally around a generation of kids that are kind of aimless right now, looking for how they can put their life together and put resumes together and, and, and go on job interviews and understand some basic investing. If your heart is compassion and mercy, you can reach out to the hurting and the wounded. And you can show them that there's hope through Jesus Christ. The list is endless on what you and I can do because God has created us all uniquely with specific gifts. And that's the way the church continues to grow. So if you would take a few moments with me as we close this morning, the worship team's going to sing a song. Would you, would you take a few moments and maybe bow your head and just, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. we do anything else, let's be mindful. If we struggle with change, can we still, as we praised him earlier, be mindful of the fact that the greatest change that we could ever experience is going from death to life because God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. We are here this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, you are here this morning because there was a change. You are here this morning because God was not okay with leaving things the way that they were, but he sent his son to change all of eternity. That's why we're here. That's why you can have life. That's why I can have life. And that's why God wants to speak to us this morning. He sent his son so that you and I could experience life change. And we want to walk in what God's called us to walk. So God, I come before you this morning and I just pray in your name. I pray, Jesus, that we would be people that reflect with a heart of gratitude on the death and the resurrection of your son, the sacrifice that he gave. God, show us our purposes. Teach us 
Remind us of our uniqueness, Lord, and the value that we have through you so that we can be a light wherever you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, we lean on you and we ask you to change us. In Jesus' name we pray.